Hi, welcome. This is an edition of Capture the Moment. It's a new series we're doing on God of Life Radio. The focus of this series is to bring light to what God is doing in the organic church today. We recognize that we are in a place of a revolution taking place, especially in Western culture, with regard to house church and home church. But I've got a special guest today called Frank Viola, who has written the book Pagan Christianity. And today we're going to talk about the book called Reimagining Church. Frank, welcome to the show and thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the books you've written. I've purchased a few of them just to really capture what you are saying. And in reading your books, Frank, I've recognized that the message that you're bringing with regard to organic church is slightly different to what I have been reading from other books on the home church movement. We will go into that through this show today and and talk about that. But first, I want to say Pagan Christianity. Wow, what an incredible book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) Absolutely bold in your delivery of it, and we are excited. But what's the difference between Pagan Christianity and this new sequel, Reimagining Church? Pagan Christianity is a book that George Barna and I wrote together in January of 2008 is when it released. And it is a deconstructive book. What it does is it looks at most of the practices that we Christians observe for church. This would include everything from meeting in a church building to the architecture of the church building to pews, platforms, worship teams, the pastor, the modern pastor office, tithing, sermons, the Sunday morning order of worship, and on and on and on. And what we do is we go through all of those practices historically. And the shocking insight and conclusion is that most of what we do for church does not come out of the New Testament, doesn't come from the teachings of Jesus or the apostles. Much of it is rooted in man-made traditions. A lot of it came out of the Greco-Roman era, particularly in the 4th century, And so consequently, we bring this out, and the book is footnoted. We have over a thousand footnotes in the book showing that we do root this in history. This is not something we're making up. And it raises the question, could it be possible that all of these things that we've borrowed from non-Christians and brought into the Church, is it possible that some of this stuff, or a lot of it, violates the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Apostles? And George Barnard and I come out saying, yes, they do, and we explain how. So that's kind of the first piece of the argument. But pagan Christianity is not a standalone book. It's only the right. first half of the discussion. And what Reimagining Church does is it takes that argument, and now it brings forth the proposition that if what we're doing in most of our traditional churches and most of our institutional churches is not biblical, then what does a church rooted in the New Testament really look like? And so this is the constructive, it's the positive piece of the conversation, which to me is really the most important piece. I like to use the analogy of a puzzle. Uh If you think about a puzzle, you have the uh, picture of the puzzle on, on the puzzle box. And what pagan Christianity does is it demonstrates historically that the picture on the box has been wrong. <laughs> and that's why the pieces of the puzzle don't fit together. I mean, every Christian who has an IQ above 80 will admit that there's something wrong in most of our churches. Right. The puzzles don't fit together. Well, we suggest, Georgia Barna and I suggest in pagan Christianity, it's because the picture on the box is wrong, and therefore the pieces don't fit right. And so what Reimagining Church does is it takes the New Testament, it also takes my experience of meeting in what I would call organic churches, which I believe are New Testament-style churches, Yes, and paints a new picture on the box. And we believe that that picture is rooted in the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles, and in my experience at least, and the experience of millions of other Christians, 
the pieces start to fit together. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you got the right picture. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the two books go together. When you were saying that, I was thinking, I can't remember the last time I looked at a book that had so many footnotes. I thought, <laughs> why are we so hungry to study those footnotes and really get into this? And I like to study revival and look at what God did in the Hebridean and Scotland and what happened in the Welsh revival. And here the miners were in the Welsh revival. They were uneducated, but all of a sudden they wanted to become Greek and Hebrew scholars when they came to Christ. There was this hunger to know the origin, to know the roots of what they were believing in. And one thing I witnessed when I read Pagan Christianity, you were pulled towards investigating further. It wasn't just a case of reading. It was a case of recognizing there's a thread that goes through all of this. And I really believe it's a key that's going to set people free. The knowing of the truth will set you free. It's not just about listening to what someone's written or what someone's saying and, and say, oh yeah, I believe in that, or no, I don't believe in that. We've got to get away from our opinion. What is the Lord saying? What is he speaking to us? And now as we come to reimagining church and we look at this book, all of a sudden we're starting to see from a biblical perspective how God sees church. What reactions have you been getting from reimagining church? Well, the reactions I have been getting mostly have been very positive, and most of the letters and emails I get sound pretty much the same, and here's what it sounds like. I have known for years that there was something more to church than what I've experienced, and your book has given language to what I have felt and believed deep, deep down in my heart. And so I am excited that somebody is saying these things and yeah. putting them into print, and I'm really excited that this actually exists. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can find a group of believers that actually meet in a way that makes Jesus Christ central in their experience, yeah. and that lives like a community and like a family and expresses Christ, not just two hours on Sunday morning and go live your individual Christian life, yeah. but has a shared life together. And God's people are hungry. They're starving yeah. for that kind of real, authentic fellowship, which is rooted in the fabric of the Church of Jesus Christ. Oh, awesome. That is awesome. I think getting us back to a place where we recognize that when we come to Christ, it's not just about you've got your insurance, now here's your assurance that you pray the prayer. But the focus <laughs> right. is, do we know him? Are we going to pursue him? One thing that really grabbed me reading Reimagining Church was when I came to the part about the DNA of the church, understanding the DNA of the church. What an amazing way to approach the start of this book. Please explain to our listeners about the DNA of the church. First of all, the concept or the metaphor of DNA comes from the fact that the New Testament presents the Church to us as an organism, yeah. a living organism. And what's real interesting to me is that most mainline denominations and most evangelical Christians, if you look at their, their theological statement or their doctrinal statement, most of them will say on it, we believe the Church is a living organism, not an institutional organization. Well, to me, in my mind, in my experience, in my observation, for most churches, that's just pious rhetoric. That's yeah. just a theological, theoretical, abstract statement. If we really believe that the Church is an organism, a living organism, then we ought to ask the question, what then does that look like? Uh, what does it look like practically? Yeah. And so consequently, I'll make a few statements here, and I hope I don't lose your audience, but organic church life, and this is basically you know, what the Scripture teaches, the Church is a living organism. Organic church life is not native to this planet. It comes from the heavenly spiritual realm. Yeah. It began long before Pentecost, long before the Galilee experience with Jesus Christ, it began before Abraham and the Hebrew nation. Organic church life, the impulse of the church, is really the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the fellowship yes. of the Godhead. And that's where the headwaters of the church, the ecclesia, find their origin. And, and so if the church really is 
and outworking of the fellowship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit, which is a beautiful fellowship of love, of mutual exchanging of life, mutual participation, mutual pouring out of themselves one to the other, mutual glorifying one another. If the Church flows out of that beautiful relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, and it's living, then it has a DNA, it has a genetic code. And there's a big difference between bringing a group of Christians together and saying, okay, here's your rule book, uh, we're a church, so we got to have a pastor, so you're the pastor, and we got to have elders, so you guys are the elders, and we got to have a service, and so we're going to meet at this time. This is what we're going to do, A, B, C, D. That is not yeah. organic. That is mechanical. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if a group of Christians begin to pursue Jesus Christ together, you know what happens organically, naturally, comes right out of the soil, the church will produce, that community will produce apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and it will be very natural. They will produce their own way of meeting, and it will look an awful lot like what we find in the New Testament, and it will echo the fellowship between Father, Son, and Spirit. So it's a very natural thing. It's the difference between taking a seed and putting it into the ground and watching it grow and have its own expression, that plant that comes out of it, and trying to create something in the laboratory. Awesome. That's incredible. Well, on today's show, we've got Frank Viola. We're talking about reimagining church, his latest bestseller. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Capture the moment now. You are listening to God Life Radio, where there's always hope for your future. We are gathered here for a purpose, and that is to unlock destiny. Amen? Does anyone want their destiny unlocked tonight? For the Lord will open the eyes of His people this day. He is crying out for a people who will allow Christ to be visible. He is looking for a body, a corporate body. For there is a sound rising that will break down all barriers. We don't come to this house just to receive for us. We come to this house to be unlocked so we can give to others, so we can reach out and make a difference. And if that's not why you're here, it will be by the time we finish. In Jesus' name. He said, the rest of my prophets did signs. When John the Baptist came, he was the sign. John the Baptist was the sign. He was the sign. Jesus was the greatest of all. But will you receive from Him? Or are you trying to get a word from a lesser source? The key for unlocking our destiny is listening to the voice of the Father. Wait for Him till He says, This is my son. This is my daughter. In whom I'm well pleased. We're talking about destiny. There was a preparation that Jesus went through. There was a testing that He went through. Just as in our lives, there's a preparation. There's a growing in the Spirit. There's a seeking first His kingdom. These were just a few extracts of unlocking destiny. Does your destiny seem to be out of reach because of your current situations? Stand firm in your belief that the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Capture the Moment, a new series. We're talking about the organic church and what is God doing in the body of Christ today. On today's show, we've got Frank Viola. We're talking about reimagining church. What an incredible book. It's the sequel to the bestseller book, Pagan Christianity. If you haven't read these two books, I encourage you to get out there to your local bookstore or on Amazon and get a copy of these books. We highly recommend it at God of Life. We've read these books and they've made a great impact on our lives. Now, Frank, I tell you, I know you're out there and people might be thinking, oh, I don't like someone coming stepping on my flower patch, you know, when you start talking about their local church and different things like that. But really, I like what you said in that last section at the end. You said about fellowshipping with the Father. 
Jesus didn't come to give us another religion, but he came to give us relationship. And you also said about the origin. This organic church is before Abraham. It was before the New Testament, before the Old Testament. It's about fellowship. And in your book, you went on and started discussing about the Trinity. Now, I find a lot of debates out there in people who are out of institutional church really coming against the message of the Trinity. Please explain to me why you felt it was so important to make sure that message was clear at the beginning of this book. I think because we have, and I say we meaning many, many of us Christians, we have reinvented the church in our own image. And there's a real popular argument out there today that says, well, you know what? The church changes with the culture. We live in a different culture. We live in a different time. And so, you know, we have to adapt to the culture. And that's true to a point. The problem is, is that people who use that argument end up creating a church, a form of church, that violates the New Testament and that has been co-opted by the culture. And this does violence to Jesus' teaching on the church, to Jesus' teaching on how his disciples are to relate to one another, and it does violence to the apostles' own practice of the church. Now, if you root the church in the triune God, if you see it as an extension of the Father, Son, and Spirit, a flowing out of that, which it is, which it is, turn to John 17. If somebody is kind of baffled at what I'm saying, just read John 17 real carefully, and you will see (laughs) that the church of Jesus Christ flows out of the fellowship between the Father and Son and Spirit, which is timeless. And so consequently, it doesn't matter what culture the church is in. It will mirror the main features and characteristics of Father, Son, and Spirit. And one of them is it will be embodied as, it will live as a family. (laughs) You know, there's a father and there's a son, okay? Family. And that's the dominating image of the church. Well, I'll tell you what, Christians will nod their head and say, oh yes, the church is a family. Well, I'll tell you what, go to the (laughs) nearest, uh, you name your denomination, I don't care what it is, go down your street (laughs) Sunday morning and walk in there and you will observe not a family, but an audience watching a performance. And most of those people don't know one another. That is not a family. I'm sorry. A <laughs> uh, family is, boy, they're tight. They take care of one another in, in pressure times, and they're together, and they eat together, and they share life together, and that's what the church is. So when we talk about the triune God, and by the way, you know, it doesn't matter to me if somebody likes the word Trinity. That was an invention. But we do have the term the Godhead in the New Testament, and we do have Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's a real relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a real relationship that we can not only observe from the outside, but we can participate in. And the point of it all is that we have a corporate God. He's not just one person, okay? He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, in the same way... The church is corporate, and the Christian life is corporate, and we can only know Jesus Christ on an intimate, deep level, and we can only know the sharing of his life and the expressing of his life in the earth in a corporate expression of his body. It doesn't work as an individual Christian. That's awesome. I've actually spoken to hundreds of people on the internet through blogging, through chat rooms and different things. And when it came to pagan Christianity, Frank, I couldn't find anyone that was disagreeing with you. But when it came to reimagining church, I could not get over how many people were complaining about some of the content of this book. And I recognized that the people who were complaining about this is because they had in their own minds, they had what they thought was their theology, their direction, and they didn't like someone coming along, coming from a word-based, looking-out perspective, Mm. messing with their doctrines and their things. But bottom line is this, Frank, who's this book for and who's it not for? (laughs) Well, if you are somebody who has been taught that the doctrine of Father, Son, and Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity, is incorrect, then you're not going to like the book because that's a strong point in it. And I would just say to people who think that, you are basically disagreeing with the main thrust of Christians who've lived throughout the centuries. C.S. Lewis defined mere Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, to be what most Christians have believed 
most of the time in most places. And the heretics in the third century, you know, starting with Arius and others, Sabellian and so forth, who denied that the Father, Son, and Spirit are, in fact, the triune God, and that God is one, yet he is three. That's always been the fringe. But on the other hand, there's always been Christians, believe it or not, (laughs) who have questioned the traditional practices of the Church. So when it comes to theology, I'm Orthodox, straight down the line, born of a virgin, Jesus of Nazareth, died on the cross for our sins. He is divine, he is human, he is the only way, there's no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. I'm right down the line, Orthodox Christian, and part of that is the triune God. Well, if somebody doesn't like that, they might be offended with the book. Not that there isn't anything else in it that they would like. There's a whole lot there that they would like, but they would yeah. complain about that. The other kind of person who it's not for is somebody who is very close-minded, and they're content with their church. They believe that whatever church they're part of, Catholic, Orthodox, you know, Episcopalian, Methodist, Baptist, and if they're content and there's no hunger inside that says, you know what? There's got to be more than this, or maybe we can do it a little bit better. If they don't have that question lurking deep within their heart, well, then reading the book is a waste of time because they're going to be challenged. Right. So if somebody, you know, is of the attitude, don't confuse me with the facts, (laughs) then they don't want to read it. But I'll tell you who it is for. It's for every Christian who has a passion to know the Lord Jesus Christ deeply and who has a passion to know and experience him in Christian community with other brothers and sisters who wants fellowship, who says in their heart, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than sitting in a pew for two hours, clocking in, clocking out. There has to be more than this. And even if they're active in their church, and I'll tell you something, the more people are active in traditional institutional church, the more they see that causes them to ask deeper questions. Right. You know, if somebody never gets involved in leadership, they never get involved in serving the religious machine, okay? <laughs> I'll put it that yes. way, forgive me. They want to serve the Lord, but really, if you peel it back, a lot of times they'll come to recognize, and this is the testimony of so many people, you know, I was serving a system. I was wanting to serve the Lord, but I got sucked into a system. Well, anyway, the yeah. bottom line is, if they have that experience, they will begin to see things that will cause them to ask questions. They'll begin to see that most churches today are, operate like businesses. Yeah. Well, not much different. But if somebody just kind of, they don't get involved in that, they just check in, check out, clock in, clock out, they're not really going to have much, <laughs> much of a question. They're content. It's kind of a church is a sort of a supplement to their life. It's something yeah. they attend rather than <laughs> something they're a part of, you know? That's how I would answer that question off the cuff. That's brilliant, Frank. It's great to hear someone that is filled with a spirit of joy and excitement that I hear in your voice. It comes over in your writings, and it's also in your communication on this show. What a breath of fresh air from heaven you are. To see that someone can delve into theology and study the roots of our faith and communicate it in writings. And most people that do that, their language is on a different level that the normal people can't understand. Mm. Um, But we really appreciate the way you're writing this book and the way you're opening it up for us all to understand. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the headship of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Capture the Moment at God of Life Radio. And on today's show, we've got Frank Viola. We'll be back in just a few moments. Capture the moment now. You are listening to God Life Radio, where there's always hope for your future. Twenty-four-seven internet radio. Get life. Get restoration. Listen to God Life Radio. That will inspire hope for your future. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. Capture the moment now. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to a new series called Capture the Moment. My name is Kenny Russell, Got a Life Radio. On today's show, 
Wow, guess who we have? We have Frank Viola talking about reimagining church. Frank, this is so exciting. I am so glad that you have got to print and that people are getting these books into their hands and starting to realize that it is about relationship. It's about Christ-centeredness. Now, we said at the end of the last part, this section, we're going to talk about the headship of Jesus. What exactly does that mean? Can you explain that for us? Well, I think every Christian would agree with the statement that Jesus Christ is head of his church. And one of the reasons for that is because it's plain on the nose of your face when you open up the New Testament. (laughs) It's a major (laughs) theme that Paul writes about in his letters, that Christ is head of his body. He is the head of the church. Now, my contention, though, is that for many years, when I was a young Christian, I attended many different churches, many different denominations, but on a practical level, on a functional level, clearly Jesus Christ was not the head of those bodies. It was a human being. And what you find interesting, there is the ministry of prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. You will never find a human being, you will never find a shepherd or pastor mentioned as the head of the church. That term is only for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean? It means that he is not only the source or the life of the church, but he is also the authority. And let's just think about it this way. You get a group of people that come together, they found a church, and where are the decisions made? Well, they're made at the top. They're made by the two or three leaders or the staff, and where's Jesus Christ in that? Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'll just say this to you. <laughs> the New Testament is very clear. Read 1 Corinthians 12. He speaks through his body. He speaks through all the members. And one of the things you find if you read the New Testament carefully is you find that decisions were made in the early church by all the believers together. You know, right. it wasn't just the, from the top down. There was no hierarchy in the church. Yes, there were different functions and gifts, and there were wiser, older people in the body who were more seasoned in spiritual life, but they all sought the Lord together and made decisions together. And I'll tell you something else. The New Testament is pretty clear that when we talk about the church gathering, most people yeah. talk about it at the Sunday morning service. Well, the New Testament didn't know a Sunday morning order of worship or a service. They had a <laughs> gathering. They came together and they met, they assembled. And what you find in the New Testament, and this is in the DNA of the Church now, it doesn't matter what culture it's in, there's a spiritual instinct here. But God's people were free to function in those meetings, and to share the Lord, and to share spiritual life, and to share Christ, and to share their insight into the Lord in that meeting. It was an open participatory meeting. There was no one leading it or controlling it, But there was someone directing it through his spirit, and he is invisible, and he is Jesus Christ. And that's what it means for Christ to be the head. Is Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is unseen but still alive in his resurrected state, is he given the right, given the permission to lead this body of believers? And I'll tell you something. I have been in many (laughs) meetings in organic churches, where God's people would come together. These are typically smaller meetings, not 500, 5,000, 3 million. This is uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, etc., where they came together, and their sole purpose of meeting was to assemble Christ in that meeting through the ever-member functioning of the body. Every member of that body participated and functioned and had a part to play in that meeting, and they all brought their measure of Christ into that meeting. They all shared the Lord together. And the interesting thing was visitors would come, and they're looking for the person who's leading that meeting. They're looking for the person who's orchestrating it, because, you see, this is a meeting that is very orderly, yet it's very open for anyone to share. And there's lots of sharing. And this comes straight out of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. When you come together, every one of you have a psalm, a hymn, a teaching, a prophecy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah. my point is, is that there is someone leading that meeting, but he's invisible. <laughs> he is the head of the church, <laughs> and uh, he expresses himself through his body. And I want to say something about the headship of Christ. We have co-opted right. the headship of Christ 
by putting a system or a human being, a la the clergy, in the place of Jesus Christ, where God's people look to a human being instead of to their Lord. Now, there are Christian workers in the New Testament, you know, apostles like Peter, Paul, etc., and their job is to equip God's people on how to meet under the headship of Christ, but then they always leave the church on its own. They never stay there permanently because they want God's people to learn to look to Jesus instead of to them and to do it corporately. There is one very powerful experience in this earth that shows and proves that Jesus Christ is still alive, and that is this, to get a group of fallen human beings together, put them in a room, and now together in their fallen state, they begin to show forth in a participatory way that Jesus Christ is still living in them They are meeting without a human head, without human control. Nobody is telling them how to meet. And they are expressing Christ together, and that proves to principalities and powers that Jesus Christ is still alive. He is alive enough to be head over his own church. He is alive enough to pastor his own church. He is alive enough to lead fallen human beings that cannot see him okay, in a meeting where he's revealing himself through that body of believers. And here's where we get back to 1 Corinthians 14. In meetings like I'm describing, Paul says, if an unbeliever comes among you and all of you are sharing Christ together, all of you are prophesying, all of you are participating, he said the unbeliever is going to fall on his knees and say, God is among you. And I have watched that happen in living color, and there's nothing quite like it. Well, I know, Frank, that people find a real big problem when it comes to can the church really operate without a religious building, without a pastor or clergy? Here's the biggie, without tithing (laughs) and without programs? Right, right, sure. Well, the answer to that is absolutely. They did it for 300 (laughs) years. They've been doing it since Christians have been meeting outside the institution of what we call church or the religious system for hundreds of years. The problem is, throughout the 1500s and even before that, they were slaughtered. Read your church history, and you'll learn about a group of people called the Radical Reformation, and boy, it was blood up to the horse's bit. These people were were annihilated by the institutional church, both Protestant and Catholic, by the way. Study the history of the Anabaptists, for example, and it's just horrific. Well, we live in a time where that's not the case. Now, we may get persecuted verbally, but at least in this country, we're sitting in the United States right now, we can gather this way. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And yes, it can happen. You don't have to have a building that you're indebted to. And by the way, in the present economy right now, lots of institutional churches are losing their buildings. The second thing is you do not need a clergyman. The idea of a single pastor over a church who is the person who is acting as the CEO and the controller and uh, the one who is making the decisions is not biblical. There's not a shred of biblical evidence for that. The early Christian shepherds were always plural. They did not monopolize the meetings of the church or the ministry. They took care of God's people in a very personal and special way but they were not dominators, and they were not the leaders of the Church. You just don't find that in the New Testament. So yes, you can meet without a clergy. It takes a lot of equipping, though, and we need those extra-local itinerant men who ran around from city to city and planted the Church and equipped God's people and then left. So it's not just something that just happens automatically. The fact of the matter is, if any Christian has been in the institutional Church for any length of time, a lot of their spiritual instincts have gone dormant and they're looking for someone to lead them instead of learning how to participate with a body of believers on equal status. That creates a lot of fear as well, doesn't it, when people come out of that? The fact of the matter is, in my observation, people don't leave the institutional church to gather under the headship of Christ the way I'm speaking of until they get desperate, (laughs) because it's very easy. (laughs) The institutional church makes everything easy. You've got all the programs for your kids. You just go in, you sit down, you can be unnoticed, you can hide out in the pew, throw your money in the offering plate, you've done your duty, and now you can live your individual Christian life. And the fact of the matter is, if you like that, 
great. But don't read pagan Christianity and don't read Reimagining Church because <laughs> it will wreck you. You see what I'm saying? It will put you in a, a crisis yeah. of conscience because you're going to have to deal with what the teachings of Jesus actually are and what the apostles actually taught about the church. On the other hand, if you are someone who knows that these things ought not to be, and there has to be more, something more authentic, more real, more powerful in the way of church, then you would probably appreciate these books. And as you said before, they are on Amazon.com. People can get them there on a discount, and they're in most local Christian bookstores as well. You can also get them off Frank's website, which is frankviola.com. Frank, you and George Barmer are saying that we are at the beginning of a revolution in the church. Tell us about that revolution. We are. We are on the cusp. We're in the embryonic stages. Um, This is not a revival. Revivals are great because lots of people come to Jesus. The problem is revivals never change the church. They just bring the church up to zero. I mean, to revive (laughs) something means it's dead. So you've got to bring it back to life. Right. And all revivals in the past, whether it be the Welsh Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, or the uh, Jesus People Movement Revival, it never changed the structure of the Church. You just you have a lot of people coming to the Lord. Well, a revolution is different. What a revolution does is it goes to the juggler. It goes to the root of how we meet, what we do as Christians, and it overturns the apple cart for lasting change. And so I think what's going to happen is that over the next 20 years, should the Lord tarry, within that time frame, what's going to happen is Christians that meet outside the organized church, that meet in homes, that meet without a clergy, are going to be just as accepted. That form of church will be just as acceptable as the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church. Now, I don't think the Protestant Church is going to go away. I don't think the Catholic Church is going to go away. The Protestant Reformation did not do away with the Catholic Church. We still have the Catholic Church, you know what I mean? And so Protestantism and Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxism will be with us until the end. But the idea that Christians can gather without a clergy, without a building, without an institutionalization uh, process, without all the religious props that are part and parcel of the institutional church, that is going to be more and more acceptable. And the funny thing is, we're sitting here, we're talking about this is going to be more acceptable, yet that's exactly the way the New Testament describes church, you know? (laughs) So we have gotten so far afield from what Jesus had in mind for his body, that it's not even funny. Yet God is restoring, and that's what the Lord does. He restores his passion, and his passion is his body, his bride. Amen. I think one of the things that excites me more than anything is the fact of seeing the body of Christ coming out of isolation. There's many people sitting in the pews and churches. They're isolated. They're lonely. They're not hearing from God. They're not really walking with the Lord. And what we're talking about, and of course, you've got those people that have left church, and they're crying out, God, I love you, but I just can't be around these people that are just speaking at me and telling me if I don't give, I'm not going to be blessed, (laughs) and manipulating you to join the department. Where are you playing your part? And all of it is in the flesh, but where is that which gives life by the Spirit? So, Frank, what sort of guidelines would you give to those Christians who resonate with your book and have left or are looking to leave institutional church in pursuit of what we're coming to recognize as the organic church, like we read about in the New Testament, What guidance have you got for these people? Very simply, I would say to them, number one, begin to cry out to the Lord and say, I want to be part of an expression of church that is pleasing to you, and I need it for my own spiritual survival, but also this is your heart as well. And bring me into that. Bring me into that. Bring such people to me or bring me to them. The other thing I would do, and this is more practical now, I would suggest that they contact me and say, I live in so-and-so, I live in Mississippi, or I live in Ouagadougou, Africa, or I live in wherever they are. (laughs) And uh, I heard you on the show. They can go to my site, frankviola.com, click on the contact tab, and I'm very accessible. And just tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me you heard the show and say, do you know of any believers that are meeting 
under the headship of Jesus Christ, or trying to pursue the centrality of Christ together where I live. And if we know a group, then I'll let them know that. And if not, I will try to put them in contact. We have several things going on where we're trying to do this over the next two years some very special plans. So yeah, I would have them contact me. Just go to frankvoa.com. I'm in contact with hundreds and hundreds, actually thousands, to be honest with you, Christians who are asking these same questions. So we're trying to put these people into contact and helping them plant churches and so forth. That's awesome. And our new sites, organicchurch.us and organicchurchtoday.com, are looking to try and help connect people as well. And I know we're going to be working quite closely with you, Frank, as the Lord starts to unravel what's going on here as we seek to connect people and to get them into fellowship. We long to be around people who want to fellowship with us for the purpose of worshiping God and saying, Jesus, we want you to be center of our time together, center of our life, center of our families. We live in a day of great family breakdown. Are you finding, Frank, that because of the breakdown in the natural family unit, that people are finding it difficult to come into local gatherings where it is like a family when they come from dysfunctional family backgrounds. It's kind of funny because it doesn't matter if a person's been part of a broken family, and that's pretty much common today, or if they are part of a family, sometimes their own nuclear family can become an idol. And they get to the place where, well, I'm just content with my husband or my wife and my 2.5 kids, and I don't really need anybody else, you know what I mean? And Jesus had a lot (laughs) to say about the family being a competitor to the kingdom of God. So it works both ways. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what your environment has been, every Christian, no matter who they are, no matter what their experience is, every Christian has a deep spiritual instinct to have fellowship and community life with other believers. I'm not talking about a commune, you know, where you share all your possessions. Community life, a shared life, where I have people who know Jesus Christ, whether I'm related to them by blood or not, we are related by life, spiritual life. And there's a deep instinct to have that kind of fellowship and have that kind of community life. We Christians, I mean, you know, often don't hear this, but we are a communal species. We were made to be with one another. That's what shook the Roman Empire on its ear, is these pagans who are very individualistic, very independent, saw these people who just were in love with someone who they called Jesus of Nazareth, who rose again from the dead and was invisible, and they fell in love with one another as a result. They took care of one another, and they loved one another. (laughs) And it shook the Roman Empire to its core. The pagans didn't understand it. And they didn't understand that these people, these Christians, love them too, you know? It says that we will be known by the love we have for God and with each other. You got it. And that's really what it boils down to. And you can't love somebody who is in Christ if you don't even know them. Uh, You can't love them if you're just (laughs) staring at the back of their head for 1.5 hours on a Sunday morning. (laughs) You know, it goes deeper than that. Well, Frank, I want to thank you for joining us today. This show has been about reimagining church. I encourage you to get out there and get this book. And, you know, Frank, you just keep writing, don't you? You've got another book that's coming out in March. What's that called? That's a book that's very dear (laughs) to my heart, and it is probably the most important book I'll ever write. It's called From Eternity to Here, and it is an unfolding of the epic drama of the story that the both Old and New Testament together, woven together, gives us in the place that we have in the story. The first part of the book is God's passion to have a bride for his son. And it takes that theme, which begins in Genesis 1 and 2 with Adam and Eve, and it draws it and traces it all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, until you get to Revelation 21 and 22, when you also have the new Adam and the new Eve, Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom. And it's just a beautiful unfolding of that story and where we fit into it. The second part is a house for God the Father. And what I do in it is I begin in Genesis 1 and 2, and I trace the theme of the house of God all throughout the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, temple of Solomon, tabernacle of David, 
temple that Ezekiel saw all the way through to Jesus Christ coming on the earth and saying, I am the temple of God in the flesh, and then the church being the temple of God, and then all the way to Revelation 21 and 22, we have that same theme appearing again. The temple of God is now among men. Well, the house of God yes. is now among men. And then the last section is the beautiful, staggering story of a body for God the Son and a family for God the Father, tracing it from Genesis 1 and 2 all the way throughout to Revelation 21 and 22. And so those four themes, the bride, the house, the body, and the family, are what the Holy Scriptures are about. And we have a place in that, and this is God's passion. It's his ultimate passion. It's his central thought. It's his eternal purpose, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. And so it is an epic unfolding drama of what the heart of the Bible really is and where we fit into it. Well, we're definitely looking forward to hearing more on that book, and maybe we can get you back on the show to talk about that one as well. But Frank, it has just been a privilege, a breath of fresh air, and such a blessing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that about does it for our show today. You're listening to Capture the Moment with God of Life Radio. My name is Kenny Russell. Four things in closing. Number one, please visit organicchurchtoday.com. It's our social network where you can interact with other people seeking to worship God in an organic church way. Secondly, we've launched and updated our new website for God of Life International. You can go through the normal link, godalife.org, or just type in organicchurch.us. Thirdly, I've got great news. We've released more of our podcasts, not just on the website, but also on the iTunes store. It's a free download. Just put God Alive into the search when you go on iTunes store and look under podcasts and you'll see us there. Fourthly, we would love to hear feedback from you. You can give us feedback at feedback at godalife.org or you can also call in our feedback answer phone line. The number for that is 704-257-6074. Leave your message there and you never know, you might hear it on one of our shows. I want to thank you for listening. This is Capture the Moment and I'm Kenny Russell. Until next time, God bless.
at life. Capture the moment now. I have got a life. It is living in God never called a people to jump in line with their vision. He says, I'm looking for a people who will jump where they can't see. And then you will see that I have prepared the place for you. In all of us is the need to know God better, walk closer, understand more, and to get fresh food from the Lord's table every day. Not one of us can boast that we can walk this path alone, or that we have all the answers. If you are in need of help to break through into your destiny and calling, and tired of just living a mediocre Christian life, we have good news. God is the enemy of mediocrity. He wants us to soar on wings of eagles, living under the shadow of his wings. At Got A Life Ministries, we have a great series of messages ready to encourage, inspire, uplift, and help take you to the next level with your relationship with God. It is called the Eagle Pack because we want to see you soaring high on the currents of the Spirit, living in his freedom that he purchased with a dear price. If you are interested in the Eagle Pack, log on to our website, which is www.gotalife.org and visit our online store on the online community. Just remember that if you call on the name of the Lord, He will answer you.